Welcome to the Georgia Today podcast from GPB News. Today is Wednesday, July 12th. I'm Peter Biello. On today's episode, South Korean auto manufacturer Kia announces plans to expand its manufacturing facility in West Point. Airport security officials have detected a rise in guns at Georgia airports. And a retired riverkeeper reflects on the health of the Chattahoochee. These stories and more are coming up on this edition of Georgia Today. An Atlanta-based pharmaceutical company has received approval from the Food and Drug Administration for a new medication to treat people with a rare autoimmune disease. GPB's Ellen Eldridge has more. UCB's new drug, Restigo, will treat myasthenia gravis. The autoimmune disorder typically strikes young women and men over the age of 50. There are two subsets of the disease, and up until now, only one type could be treated. This drug will treat both. Kim Moran is with UCB. She says the most noticeable symptoms are eyelid drooping and blurred vision. But really the biggest symptoms are are neuromuscular, so their muscle weakness. And in some, it can affect them very profoundly in which they have respiratory depression um, and basically they have trouble breathing. Patients in the clinical trial showed improvements in several ways, including breathing, speaking and walking. For GPB News, I'm Ellen Eldridge. Christine King Farris, the last living sibling of the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., will lie in state at the Capitol. King died June 29th. She was 95 years old. This week, several celebrations of her life are taking place in Atlanta. Farris will be just the fourth African-American to lie in state at the Capitol. The King Center says it will happen on Friday from 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. A funeral takes place on Sunday evening at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. Airport security officials are detecting more guns at Georgia airports. The Transportation Security Administration said today that for the six months ending in June, agents at six Georgia airports discovered more than 226 firearms in travelers' carry-on luggage. That's eight more than last year and in line with national trends. Agency spokesman Mark Howell says there are just more people traveling and more people with guns. In states where we have open carry, concealed carry, uh, or permitless carry, It becomes kind of a day-to-day routine to have your firearm with you, but you really have to flip the switch if you're traveling. He adds, traveling with a weapon brings potential criminal citations and possible fines of up to $15,000. South Korean automaker Kia plans to invest more than $200 million and create nearly 200 new jobs at its manufacturing facility in West Point. The numbers from Governor Brian Kemp's office today come three months after the company announced it would produce its new electric SUV at the plant, making it the fifth Kia model to be assembled there. Production of the vehicle, the EV9, is expected to begin next year. Business leaders in southeast Georgia's Glynn County will host a job fair tomorrow and Friday for laid-off employees of the chemical processing plant Pinova. GPB's Benjamin Payne reports. The event comes three months after a massive fire broke out at Pinova's resin factory in Brunswick. No one was killed, but major structural damage led the company to begin closing the plant permanently. Now more than 200 people are out of work, but this week some could find new employers when 40 companies set up booths for a job fair at Pinova's Brunswick headquarters. Mackenzie Padgett is with the Golden Isles Development Authority, which is helping organize the event. A lot of the skills that these individuals have are transferable to most industries, So I really don't think there'll be any issues with them locating in a great career that is able to pay as much, not more, than their past career. The job fair takes place Thursday afternoon and Friday morning and is only open to laid-off Pinova workers and current employees of the company. For GPB News, Benjamin Payne. 
Columbus-based insurance giant Aflac is taking over title sponsorship of the kickoff game that starts the college football season. Peach Bowl officials said today that the company has agreed to a three-year partnership with the game, now formerly known as the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Atlanta-based fast food giant Chick-fil-A will continue as the title sponsor of the Peach Bowl. This year's kickoff game will feature the Atlantic Coast Conference opener between Louisville and Georgia Tech on September 1st. The Chattahoochee River is an essential part of the state's ecosystem. Running from the North Georgia mountains all the way to Florida and the Gulf of Mexico, its river basin straddles three states and sustains more than 5 million people in the metro Atlanta area alone. It's also sensitive to drought and vulnerable to contamination. Riverkeepers have been fighting for decades to maintain its health and push for policies that protect it. Sally Bethay served as Riverkeeper for two decades before she retired in 2014, and her new book, Keeping the Chattahoochee, is part love letter to the river, part call to action for those who want to protect it. Recently, she spoke with me about her work at the banks of the Chattahoochee River. Today, the river is fairly, fairly low because you can see all the rocks uh, poking out. The river itself, where the fast-moving water is in the middle there, um, I mean, that's the center of the, the flow and we see some ducks enjoying the sunshine and the water, clean water. So fabulous. The only perspective I've had on the river so far has been driving over it mm-hmm. on the highways. That's, that's, most people look down, oh there's the river and it, it either like, oh it looks good today or oh it's muddy because it rained. You know, one thing in the book and in all of Riverkeeper's work that we've focused on is emphasizing the connectivity and helping people think about, visualize where the river starts on this little tiny spring and how it travels 546 miles down to the Gulf of Mexico, ends up with a different name, the Apalachicola, but it's the same water. You wrote this book to help people understand the river. I wanted to ask you to explain why it's important to understand it, especially if someone never sees it, except when they're driving over it on the highway, or maybe if they live miles and miles away from it. Why is it important to understand the river? Rivers are essential to our lives in so many ways, as we know that each one of us is 60% water. And this river here sustains 5 million people, at least, with drinking water and so much more. So there's the aspect of self-interest, you know, where does my water come from? And I wanted to write a book that helps explain that. You write in this book about the watershed for the metro Atlanta area. I'm not going to get the wording exactly right, but it was something about it being relatively small for the size of the metro area. And I'm wondering if that's alarming to you. So many people depending on a relatively small watershed when compared to other cities. I do worry about the fact that we have such a small watershed and we have a metropolitan area focused like laser on keeping as much water in Lake Lanier upstream to allow Atlanta intakes to function during droughts. That's when the problem is during droughts. But I wonder about all the communities, people and ecosystem downstream. You know, we've got to figure out a way to share, to equitably share this river given the geography, the geology that we have. It's what we've got. And so um, working together is key. And that's tough when it comes down, particularly to moneyed interests. 
The second part of that question had to do with growth and the growth in the Atlanta area. The population here is expected to increase quite a bit. Is the Chattahoochee watershed prepared for that? And if not, I mean, what happens to communities downstream, Columbus, you know, all the way down to Florida? We, in the recent years, we've had a lot of rain, and people seem to forget what it was like back in 2006 to 2009 when we had an exceptional drought. That will happen again. Now, many decision makers, leaders at all levels, have tried to put together some plans to better deal with that eventuality, but they have still not come to a... uh, result and outcome that I think will ensure everyone up and downstream is adequately protected, including the river itself. Um, a lot of partisanship. Of course, this river basin straddles three states. So you've got fights, Alabama, you've got Georgia, you've got Florida. Um, and uh, we have the capacity to be more careful with our water and more thoughtful. And I'm seeing metro leaders slipping back on some of the really good measures they made in the last, let's say, 10 to 12 years. Um, There's a complacency again. You know, you've got a drought, people work to preserve, protect the water, and then you've got a lot of water, people forget about it. We heard recently about bacterial contamination in the Chattahoochee, and anyone who reads your book We'll learn that this is far from the first time something has contaminated the water. There have been sewage spills, untreated wastewater. Uh, You write about witnessing a spill yourself. What does it take to heal a river when something like that happens? Is it all human intervention? Does the river, to some extent, heal itself over time? What happens in the healing process? Rivers are amazingly resilient if you don't overuse and abuse them too much. If you're looking at bacterial pollution, untreated sewage going into a river, that bacteria will die within three or four days. It's looking for warm-bodied mammals to, to live in, and cold rivers are not where the bacteria like to live. So you stop the sewage spill, and you know the river is going to take care of that. What we've seen recently was an ongoing, a chronic problem with Fulton County's Big Creek sewage plant. They're still trying to figure out what happened there. Um, so with bacterial contamination, you stop the source, you can, um, the, the river can, for the most part, heal itself. When you're talking about toxic chemicals, um, things even like DDT and chlordane, which have been banned for decades and decades, they're still persisting in the fish tissue in some fi- of the fish in this river. You can't just magically clean things like that up. So is there a concern that this river may get something dumped in it that just makes it beyond healing for human use? No, that's not going to happen to the Chattahoochee River. I don't think we're not going to let that happen. (laughs) You retired as Riverkeeper in 2014. You've been an informal advisor to your colleagues who are still caring for the river. Since then, you've been writing, you've got this book out. Is there any one thing in your career that you feel has made the biggest impact on the health of this river? You know, I mean, I think the biggest impact on the river, and it's, it's not just me, but it's the small group of people who started the organization Chattahoochee Riverkeeper. Um, I feel like the growth 
of that organization, the fact that it is still thriving to this day, it is still helping speak truth to power, monitor the river, helping people enjoy the beauty of the river. And we're just one riverkeeper or river organization. But um, in, in my life, for this river, I think creating and help sustaining that organization is what I look back on as my biggest impact. Well, Sally Bethay, the book is Keeping the Chattahoochee. Thank you so much for taking me to the river, and, and thanks for speaking with me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Russian tennis player Daniil Medvedev has ended Atlanta native Christopher Eubanks' fairy tale run at Wimbledon. The Russian defeated the former Georgia Tech player today in five sets. Despite his loss today, his run at Wimbledon has been impressive and inspiring. The 27-year-old was listed as a two-time All-American during his three seasons at Georgia Tech before rising through the ranks to become the last American standing at the Wimbledon Championship. GPB's Orlando Montoya spoke with his college coach, Kenny Thorne, before today's game. You coached Chris for three seasons at Georgia Tech. You also recruited him right out of high school, but he wasn't a top-ranked junior player. What did you see in him? Well, besides him being six foot seven and uh, a huge serve and a huge forehand, uh, not a lot. <laughs> he had, he actually had uh, a lot of skills. Uh, he just hadn't put them together uh, at the time in junior tennis. What what was his turnaround like? Did you, you witness his turnaround then? Well, I, he came. He did come into the college, and uh, I, I feel like college really puts a lot of pressure on you. You're in a team environment when junior tennis, it's kind of just about yourself. And so you win, you help the team win. There's that extra pressure. And he loved the big stage. He, he really enjoyed having pressure on him. And uh, he was one of those guys that kind of rose to the occasion when pressure was on. And he, he rose through the ranks uh, of our lineup and uh, played number one by the end of his freshman year and uh, really embraced college tennis. But now I think he's just settling to his identity on the court that much more, and we're kind of seeing seeing the fruits of all his work. He is not just a very good tennis player. He is a very good person. And we had Georgia Tech. We would go and do a lot of community service projects, and, you know, sometimes you're taking – guys on in college and taking them out because they're supposed to go out and serve the community and trying to teach them you know what it means to give back and he was the first one there and the last one to leave and you never had to tutor him on any of the giving back part well you must be proud of of uh, your role or at least georgia tech's role yeah I, I, well georgia tech was great uh, to chris he loved georgia tech he still loves it he trains out of georgia tech and uh yeah, I think everybody's behind him. He's been supporting Georgia Tech for a while, and so Georgia Tech is definitely going to support him. That was GPB's Orlando Montoya speaking with Georgia Tech tennis coach Kenny Thorne. You can watch Christopher Eubanks compete in the Atlanta Open beginning a week from Saturday at Atlantic Station. In other sports news, at the All-Star Game last night, the National League snapped a losing streak that lasted more than a decade and beat the American League 3-2. Highlights from the game include Braves third baseman Austin Riley snagging a line drive and throwing it from his knees to first for a double play. Truist Park is under consideration for the 2025 All-Star Game. 
Commissioner Rob Manfred told the Baseball Writers Association of America yesterday that Atlanta's in the mix, but he isn't prepared to go past that right now. The Texas Rangers are due to host next year. Also under consideration for upcoming All-Star Games is Chicago's Wrigley Field, which hasn't hosted the All-Star Game since 1990. The 2021 All-Star Game was awarded to Atlanta's Truist Park by Major League Baseball in 2019, but in April 2021, it was moved to Denver following objections to sweeping changes to Georgia's voting laws. The Braves begin a three-game homestand against the Chicago White Sox on Friday night. And that's it for this edition of Georgia Today. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you want to learn more about any of these stories or check out photos from my visit to the Chattahoochee River, visit gpb.org news. If you haven't yet hit subscribe on this podcast, take a moment and do it right now. That way we will be there in your podcast feed waiting for you tomorrow afternoon. And if you've got feedback, we'd love to hear it. Email us. The address is georgiatoday at gpb.org. Story ideas are welcome as well. Again, georgiatoday at gpb.org. I'm Peter Biello. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.